0: And it, it is what makes us, it's what toughens us up. And that's what, uh, I don't think we have a tendency to.
1: And that's a good line. You would think that slavery, you know, it's funny because I just got done, you know, Martin Luther King day was just, um, yesterday and, um, I was listening to, yeah, thank you for, I was going to tell you to pay your camera back. I was was listening (laughs) to people talking about like, you know, what do we do with. Uh, The Negro after slavery and they were arguing, you know, with with Abraham Lincoln, like, man, you know, they're slaves and they don't have the grit to do this and they can't do that. And everybody was mad that people were having this argumentation because they were like, man, these are slaves who just got done building the wealth for America. What do you mean that they didn't have this? What do you mean they weren't tough? But biblically, like you just said. Um this is why we are opposed to slavery though. This is part of the reason why we're against slavery because it doesn't give you what freedom gives you, which is grit, tenacity, um yeah. uh, uh go get, there's all kinds of different um attitudes that come from freedom that you don't get in slavery, which is a problem if you're a human because that's not what God has made you for, right? But right. even God is looking at the children of Israel and like, man, my people who he loves needs some grit to them. And so what he does is gives them this polish, this grit through the
0: wilderness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know what else actually strips you of that grit? Owning slaves.
1: Yeah, that right. it makes you weak yes. too.
0: That's yes. right. Being a slave and owning slaves, it, it 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 has a way of degrading our own toughness. You know, it it does and- a,
1: it does the same thing pornography does to a man.
0: Yeah. Right. Right? Like,
1: right. You don't escape. Yeah. Sure. You're abusing a woman and sure you're, you're getting what you want through that, but it's actually making you limp. It's, it's not making you hard. It's making you soft. You know, Doug talks about cockles. Like that's what it does to like. That's what it makes you the kind of guy who will let your woman be taken advantage of. And slavery makes you the kind of person who doesn't understand the value of a human being. If you can't understand the value of a human being made in the image of God, and, and then how are you treating anybody else like a human being either? You know, you, yeah. you're broken all the way around. So it hurts both the slave and the owner to do that um, biblically, right? Like that's just.
0: Yeah. So it's it's the and that's the thing is so often um, our response now to the issues of slavery has been like, well, well, the problem was that it was the white people that were in charge. We need to actually give now the black people the advantages <laughs> that the white people had then. It was like, Well, no, those those weren't advantages. It's not an advantage to own people. Right. It's actually, um, I mean, it, it's a financial advantage if you're a communist and you think everything is defined but that by a financial even, advantage.
1: That doesn't even last long in God's world, though. No, it, it, it doesn't.
0: Because it's it's not real. It's not a real financial is not a real advantage, not a real long term advantage, oh. right? That because righteousness is a long term advantage, nobility is a long term advantage. Yeah, that's right. Um, and that's because you're and, talking about uh, covenantal at that point. Right, it, exactly, exactly. And that's what. Um, so we, when you've got people that you know are they they want to restore, they say, "Oh, let's restore the South," you know, or whatever. Um, the. the It's not a good idea because it, uh, actually the uh, undaunted courage. Um, I think it it does a really good job of dealing with this. Stephen Ambrose's book, on um, it's on uh, Lewis and Clark, and it talks about the the problems that you had amongst the um, the gentry, the the ruling class, the slave owning class, the 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 lack of manliness Mm. that. That existed in the slave owning class, so you couldn't the, the the you couldn't find amongst the slave owning class the the explorers necessary, because they'd gone soft, right? Um, and, and oh wow, it's so it's really interesting. And actually, Booker T. Washington's
1: book he up from he, slavery,
0: up from slavery, he yeah, talks about this. As well. He does, and, uh, yep. And it's really insightful um, that it's. It's not good for society. It's a it's a societal sin, but it's a emasculating sin for the owners of slaves, um, similar to pornography. Um, you, know, prosti- you know, visiting prostitutes. Uh, yeah. That that's an emasculating sin. It's a self destructive, self destroying, not self destructive the way you're like, oh, you're going to get into drugs and it's going to be bad for you. But it's a selfhood undermining, mm. um, the w- way of approaching the world because you start thinking like somehow my desires are such that I should be able to coerce the world into conforming to them. Um, and it was a
1: false form of dominion,
0: fa- false form of dominion. The world doesn't work that way. That's right. Um, and, uh, that you, if, if you have coerced a woman with, you know, a hundred bucks or I don't know how much prostitute costs. However, there's a pandemic things have changed. I have no idea either. If you, if you coerce a woman um, into, into your bed, you don't gain the advantages of Uh. a woman on your side of a, of a feminine perspective on, on your life and your, and the, the troubles that you're, you don't gain the strength of a woman Mm. that way. Um, But you get the illusion of it. Right. Which so, is
1: which is almost which is the same thing as gay. Yeah. Right. right. Like it's fruitless right. ultimately. You can't do the thing that Adam needed to do with Eve in the garden to be able to take dominion and act like God. Right. When you haven't gone through the true process. Uh, that's good. Yeah. So and Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, this is this is where like Geoffrey Chaucer in the opening of the Canterbury Tales He's got this amazing series of uh, of stanzas where he is talking about the sexual awakening of puberty and how spring is kind of every year the world goes through puberty, creation goes through puberty mm. and there's a new, new sexual awakening. And how when view and how that is actually also intended by God to be a religious awakening. Mm. The, because beauty and fruitfulness are pulled together in creation whereas sin wants to push beauty and fruitfulness apart right that somehow you can mm. you can have the beauty of uh of a woman or the beauty of creation or the beauty of sexuality without fruitfulness um that that you actually can't right that that they're pulled together by god and that creation teaches us that right that it, that every year spring the, the the spring comes the world um gets wet and everything starts having babies right I mean, right the, the medievals were much more comfortable with uh sexual bodily images than the modern My, moderns are really really prude post-unitarian poetry is really prudish compared to medieval poetry why
1: is that you think? Um we see, we, I think we get uncomfortable with it. kind of
0: we're super uncomfortable with it. They they were much more comfortable with it. it. You know, can, if um, I, can I
1: take a stab at that real quick though? Is it because yeah, yeah, of, go for it. of our perversion? Do you I mean, I don't think that we're more perverse, but we don't have we only have um we don't have multiple categories for sexuality. You know, I've been reading sexual suicide by um uh Glenn um Oh, he did after life after Google. Oh, I can't remember his name right now. Um, I haven't
0: heard of this. It sounds good. Oh,
1: it's a fabulous, fabulous book. It's a fabulous book. Um, um, I'll think of his name in just a second. But what I, one of the things that he is doing is having the conversation about the fact that a woman is uh, a sexual being in ways that a man is not multiple ways that a man is not. Matter of fact, her whole beginning of life already has told her that she's going to be the kind of being that nurses children. She's going to be the kind of being that uses her breasts to nurse children. She's going to be the kind of being that her body is going to give birth. And it starts telling her that at a very young age that she is a different type of sexual being than a man. And a man, he kind of only really has one use for his sexual organ. Right. right. And it doesn't yeah. do anything. It doesn't nurture. It doesn't it just it just gets hard and then it plants seed. That's all it does. Yeah. And so but as I was, le- as I, the, my point is that as I was reading this book and listening to him talk, I was just grappling with how frank and forward he was being with the conversation and how uncomfortable I was being reading it. Right. <laughs> it was, yeah. right. It, it, right. And it, he's not dealing with. And I think it's kind of the the there's only one category for when we talk about. Um. This in in the modern mind that it's perverse or it's private. There's the only two. Right? He's like, yes, yeah, man, that's it. You know, that's kind of and and because of that, I think because of the expansion of probably the, I don't know, pornography and the feminist movement in the fifth forties and the sexual revolution. You say the sexual revolution didn't happen until the two thousands or something like that. Yeah, but the um, beginning yeah, of late,
0: it, the mid nineties,
1: mid nineties. Yeah. So yeah, yeah mid nineties. Um. But we'll we'll have to talk about that another time.
0: <laughs> yeah, another time.
1: But the the idea that all of this, the sexual revolution supposedly that many people say happened in the sixties and the seventies, um, but really not to the nineties, uh, <laughs> that has created a what we got to do is make everything sexually prude. Like that's prude. Like you don't you don't talk about that. That's not yeah. public. It's not. We don't recognize it to the point that it's pushed in. Um, something else has retake, has taken its place with this new form of sexuality, right? Which is transgenderism, all this stuff like that. Something's right. going to fill that void um, because we've stopped having that conversation in the public period. But I, you know, I think that between the perversion of true biblical sexuality has created us. Well, we're just not going to deal with it at all. Yeah. So if we are, uncom- we don't have any multiple categories for it. Well, this is the act this is the being this is the way the world works uh seed goes into the ground it produces fruit like you know mm-hmm. sexuality yeah. is all in everywhere in creation
0: <laughs> Well, I, I think you know when 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 we tried to basically move away from um well okay how, oh, far wow. do we, how far do we want to go back? Because I thought about this one a lot. Right. Um in, in, in spiritual terms, um, you have throughout the history of the church different ways of approaching knowledge of God. Right. You've got the what's called the way of affirmation and the way of denial. Right. What is what is there that is not like God, right? And what is there that is like God? And that, that tension, um, you, you've got guys like, um, well, the, the church fathers are having this discussion and some of them are saying, look, God is such a different sort of creature, different sort of thing than us, a different kind of being than us. Actually, um, it, it, it all comes to a head in, in Maximus the confessor, who says god is no thing he's it's not that god is nothing mm. he is he is not a thing um, there isn't he is not an object because you can't get apart from him and look at him as an object everything exists within him um within his being everything is dependent upon his being and, and he establishes what's called the creator creature divide he establishes the vocabulary of it that is used the rest of church history. That God is a, is not a being like us. We are dependent beings. He's independent beings. And so the, the, um, in Reformed parlance, this is the incommunicable attributes of God. Um, and the way of denial of, in terms of the knowledge of God is that there isn't anything analogous to God. Nothing is analogous to God in his being, right? So any sort of knowledge of God is simply because God has communicated himself to us Um, because we can't, there's not a knowledge ladder to climb to get to. Yeah, him. there's no, right? yeah, yeah. Right. At the same time, God has created a world in which he reveals himself, mm. right? And so he is the, the way of affirmation is that everything is analogous to God because he's the creator of it. And he designed it that way. Mm. Right? The, the world is this allegorical, symbolical knowledge of him. When we start denying the creator creature divide, we start getting a knowledge. Uh, we, we start either falling into the way of affirmation without the way of denial or into the way of denial without the way of affirmation. Mm. You can't hold them together unless you've got a God who is completely other and reveals himself across that.
1: Oh my goodness. This is in my head. I'm just jumping to the hypostatic union right here. Like
0: like, this is like, Oh my goodness, he's fixed the problem. (laughs) And that's the thing is, is um, in the ancient world, you've always got this, this problem of the, whoever's the most powerful is getting more and more godlike, right? Is becoming more and more godlike. And whoever's less powerful is less and less godlike. And so you have imperialism that runs rampant, that destroys people. You've got the mm. um the um Hinduism is an incredibly violent religion in 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 its conception, you know, where you've got The people at the top and the people at the bottom Mm. don't don't view each other as the same kind of creature. And so um, a lot of uh, worship by suicide, you know, throughout Hinduism, right? In that, we, we shine all that stuff up, but you read the stories of the first missionaries going into the Hindu areas and they just, they walk away like, oh my gosh, we've got to do something. These people are literally killing themselves in service of their idols. We've got to stop this. But what's um, new? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the Christians cared more about Hindus than Hindus, Hindus cared did, right? about Hindus. Yeah, yeah. And so Christians were like, even if we don't convert them all, we want them alive. <laughs> right. right. We'll get we'll get them in the next generation. We'll get them three generations down. in, let's just stop the self murder. Yeah. Um. But but the the uh what happens is when jesus comes there's one place where the creature and the creator um there's one point at which they come together which removes every other thing that that would have been that in the ancient world the emperor the philosopher the um the uh guru you know all these different places prophet priest king right yeah Right. Exactly. All of those things are removed from that place and, and Jesus takes over. Uh, which is why when people say, you know, oh, the Nicene Creed was written by Constantine to establish his power. Like, look, the Nicene Creed undid his power. <laughs> um, post Nicene Creed, you, you don't get empires that last because the Nicene Creed makes it clear that you, that there is no divine um creature uh point where the divine and the creature come together outside of jesus right so and then in jesus we move um into relationship with the divine and the divine moves into relationship with the creation um but it's only in jesus right so and um once you have the uh w- when you move away from that, uh, hypostatic union, when you move away from the, the Nicene creed, you end up with either some sort of animism where the way of denial goes away. Um, or you end up with rationalism where the way of affirmation goes away in the West. We went the rationalism route. Um, you, uh, the Unitarian movements, it, it, we'll just talk America, the Unitarian movements in early America, the rationalism that you know the 1800s was the was and was when we got uncomfortable with sexuality
1: when you say rationalism what do you mean
0: that that reason is the um and, only only place where real knowledge can be had is
1: it would that be like imperialistic thinking where it's only what i can prove tangibly physically that i um, can account for but
0: no, no, rationalism is that is only things that can um, be logically affirmed in mathematical certainty can be counted as knowledge. Okay. So um, uh, empiricism is only things that I can get to with my senses can, uh, be, count- can be counted as legitimate inputs for knowledge. Okay. Okay. Right? Um, rationalism. And so empiricism and rationalism. Can fit together, yeah. uh, Because you can count only the your the things that you're getting as inputs through your senses, um, and then but only count as real knowledge things that you have absolute mathematical certainty for. Okay. Um, So uh, we moved in that direction in the 1800s, and uh, knowing a woman is not that kind of knowledge right solomon um he was the greatest scientist of his day he was the greatest philosopher of his day it says he knew all the birds and he knew the trees and he was doing experiments It also says that he was interacting with all of the great philosophers even um even it tells us i think ethan the edomite is, is mentioned eve he could even interact with ethan the edomite which i um, which I believe was sort of the Plato or the Aristotle of the ancient of them, world, yeah. you know, And uh, that he, that he was winning philosophical debates. He was he was incredibly rational. When it came time to talk about knowing a woman, he wrote a he wrote a poem, right? Because <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a different kind of knowledge, right? He was he knew the limits of rational knowledge. He knew, but he also knew that that you have to know a woman right he needed a queen to be able to rule well he, that he knew that that uh, that he knew and understood and could you know have um on his side right he needed a helper um to to rule well but that kind of knowledge is not rational knowledge when rationalism comes in we start getting really uncomfortable with sexuality Mm. Um, and so, and, and chauvinism, the chauvinism of the late 1800s was really, really uncomfortable with sexuality, right? It, um, you it's, it's really interesting, right? You read novels of, from the late 1800s, uh, early 1900s about the 1800s and the men get in ships and they're gone for months and months at a time, right? They're more comfortable there yeah. than they are at home. Um. Because knowing a woman is much harder than knowing how to sail a ship. And
1: you know, well, that's facts. <laughs> that's I it's haven't more, sailed the ship, but I can tell you that. Right, right it's now. a more
0: value. It's a more valuable knowledge, but it's much harder to gain.
1: Well, one of them. I mean, yeah. Well, it's the effect that they have in the world. Sure, ships move goods and get you places, but women make people. That's different, <laughs> right. right? You right. know, that's a different right. kind of yeah.
0: Eternal souls. Yeah, are, a ship can't are, grow an ear.
1: A ship can't grow fingers and a yeah. heart and all that kind of, you know, when you were talking about puberty, one of the things that uh, came to my mind, we were talking about this. We're going to talk about Dante. We're, we're actually talking about Dante yeah. already. People yeah. don't even know. It. Um, but we, we were, um, gonna we were, grab my books. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. How many, well, he can't hear me. It's like, well, how many books you got over there? Like how many books did you just grab? <laughs>
0: Uh, only three this time
1: okay so I'm gonna let you go through the books in a second Um, but I, I haven't read Dante I don't know who Dante really is I've, I'm probably affected by him far more than I know and, and don't even know how much I am affected by him Um, <clears throat> as I was talking to uh, Neil earlier we were talking about angels and demons and, and spirits and all that stuff that we have even with hell we with dante is a huge part of our culture and most of us don't even know it but i was thinking we are constantly speaking of which not knowing it i've been in probably conversation with dante and i haven't ever known that i've been in conversation with dante and part of the reason that i don't know that is because dante wasn't covenantally handed down to me in in parentally or educationally I just didn't get any understanding of this and so what happens what I've noticed is in the conversations that we're having is that I've been bumping it like right now everybody's having a conversation with Marx and Gramsci and you know you know we're having a conversation with socialists and we don't even know that we're having conversations with them and we don't know this and the reason our kids are having conversations we just didn't do a good job of covenantally passing down information at right. all and so our kids kids and our grandkids and us we're having conversations with people who didn't really die off in their world and but wickedness never really like does it get suppressed more and more but it doesn't die off but if we get lax on it this stuff comes back full-fledged right like it's just like uh weeds but i was thinking about the fact that you know when i was growing up i remember being like eight or nine my mom having a conversation with me about puberty Cause I love working with my mom. I love protecting my mom, serving my mom and helping her out. And she would say, man, David, you're such a good kid. I'm boosting my own horn right now. But she's like, one day you're going to grow up and your body's going to act differently. You're going to get more testosterone in your system. You're going to want to be defiant. You're not going to want to listen to me. And here's the thing. You're going to want to give your desires to another woman. (laughs) And I remember as a kid thinking, no way, never, mom, I would never do that. That is not that is not me at all. You know, um, and she I remember her walking me through all the things that would happen during puberty. Your body's going to start changing. Your voice is going to start changing. You're going to have this. You're going to see a girl and you're gonna have desires for her and you're not gonna know what to do with those things. You're gonna act funny. She's like, you're gonna see a pretty woman and you, a girl and you're gonna be acting nervous and you start sweating and you're gonna, what's going on with me? I've never had this. And she walked me through all of these details of how I was gonna change and be a different kind of person as I matured. And I remember the moment that I ref- that I could see those things happening. I remember when I hit puberty and I remember saying to myself, My mom told me about this.
2: Right, right.
1: My mom said this was going to happen and I didn't think it was going to happen. And so I was able to take a full calculation of myself and going through puberty, fighting against my own sin to be able to want to be my own person and leave from under. Some of those things weren't simple. There was other ways in which I wanted to do it that was sinful. And because of her telling me about what was coming when it, even though I had no idea it was actually going to happen, when it came to be, I was able to engage it with clear accuracy and to fight against it. And it saved me so much problems, so many problems that I would have had. Um, I went and worked harder. Um, I went and wanted to build the castle for my queen. You know, she gave me like, this is this energies and these focuses that you have as you're maturing are for the purpose of work. Throw right. it into your work. Build something so that you can welcome a queen into your castle. And I remember her like, um, these are the conversations my dad should have had with me. <laughs> right. But, yeah. but, and she had, could have had other conversations with me about women, but you know, nevertheless, when I hit puberty, when I hit that time of rebellion, when I hit what the people called the teenage years, I was ready to fight as a Christian, my own rebellion against my mom. And now I, I bring all that up to say the more that my mom was telling me and communicating to me biblically, my sin that I was going to have to deal with in the future of my maturity that I was going to have to deal with, I was better able to actually deal with it and win battles that most of my friends could not win.
0: Right. And well, cause you, cause you knew what story you were in. I, she and told me so exactly. Knew, yeah. You, you were ready to, to know what character to play.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And <clears throat> what I feel like now is I feel like there's some stories I haven't been told. There's some people in some situations that I'm looking at like, this is new for me. You know, I don't, I don't, I ain't, what does this one do?
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> right? I, right.
1: I'm back in school again. And I think everybody, I'm not the only person who's feeling like that. I'm watching everybody. What is this critical race theory? It was so funny when I was telling you about kind of critical race theory and what it's doing, you were like, oh, this is just Gnosticism.
0: Where <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, oh. I haven't. I haven't heard of critical race theory, but I've heard of this. This yeah. is this, this is, is a new name for an old, and, uh, you know, an old dragon head that and, pops up every once in a while.
1: And that's my point, Jason. Is that what I what I want to do with what we're doing is to try and give people some of the stories that we haven't been able to have for whatever reasons—covenantally break yeah. covenantal breakdowns. You know, the lack of engaging. Um, I I wrote down some of the the things that I want to, I just want to tell people kind of some of the things we want to do with just talking to Foucault in conversation with Foucault
0: yep,
1: in, yep. Conversations with Aquinas, um, in conversations with Aquinas, Chesterton in conversation. Cause we're having, you know, again, these conversations have happened already in the past. These aren't new conversations. They're just new to us because we haven't been trained well. We haven't had the education that we need. And we've had a lot of covenantal breakdown in the family that, Great grandma ain't telling the stories about Hitler and Stalin. And, you know, and for instance, Sharon's grandmother, she was born right after the time of the um, of uh, of of Hitler. So there's a whole culture right. of her growing up being at a time where black people didn't have the rights to vote. What was that like? The world that was going on, the the stories that were happening. There's so much in our history in recent history that we don't have, let alone, you know, right. biblical our, history that we, our,
0: <laughs> our people's history. Right. Our, our, exactly. Yeah. And so because we have there's family history, you know, uh, I just I, I got to hang out with my mom some this morning, which is fun because get to hear stories. And yeah. she was telling me um, and I, there's a, a sculpture um, that I keep in my office. Let me grab it.
1: Family heirlooms
0: of uh, what is that? It's a, it's a Bob uh, Scrivener sculpture. It's a bronze uh, sculpture. Uh, it's captain Lewis and our dog. Um, and so it's, it's a Lewis and Clark sculpture. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a full size version of this in the Capitol, so I'm uh, the descendant of the first uh, governor of Montana. So there's a full size, oh wow, version of this sculpture, and it's actually three sculptures. And so we we have the we have the small versions. Our my grandma, grandfather were given the the small versions that were then used to make the full-size versions at the Capitol. And um, it was split up between my my grandpa and grandma's three kids. They each got one of them. So I keep it here in my office. That's and nice, she, man. And she was, she was in here, and she was telling me the story, uh, uh, telling me some stories about uh, my grandma and grandpa because of the sculpture. She's like, oh, yeah, that's let me tell you how, how that uh, came about. And it was, and so there's this family history, right? Where, you know, I can go to Montana and get my picture taken with the, the giant sculpture that is of my descendant right So I've got this family history here um, that is important, but because I'm a Christian, all of that family history of mine is also your family history, right? Like right. this is this is all this is our story together. Um and then uh and then all of the stories of all of the Christians going back is all our family history, right? Right. And we we have a tendency to um think of history as a sort of that it's the dull part of school where you know, right you get some Rather than um, with the dates and everything, rather than thinking like, "Oh, this is my family history," right? So when when you read about Dante, um, it I have heard Dante called, "Oh, he's he's that um, he's he's one of those dead white men that's trying to continue to control our culture, right, with his white <laughs> white supremacy." And, right? Like what? But, um, but that's that is how we're. Told to define the human race now. So rather mm. than saying, "Like oh look, I've got this family connection," covenantally speaking, with this Italian poet, right? Um, it, same, you know, uh, one of my other favorite poets, James Weldon Johnson, was a uh, African American poet in the early part of the 1900s. So, you, but I have the same connection with him as I do with this Italian poet. Mm. It's a family connection it's a covenantal connection i even though i share probably the same amount of blood and dna with both of them that <laughs> that's not we we're not um materialists so the connection we have is not it is is covenantal legal fam- familial it's not physical dna it's that's that's not how we define people or story or history
1: No, that's actually that was part of the problem that the Jews had,
0: Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, uh, that's unclean, Lord. Now they, they, yeah, they wanted that. They wanted that to be the connection, right? They wanted, they wanted race DNA. um, They wouldn't have thought of it as DNA, but that's the that's the argument they're making, right? They wanted that to be the connection. And Jesus was like, ah, I got a sword for that connection. <laughs> yeah. And I came to kill that. Right. Um, right. He said, I've got a sword for the family. Right. But mm-hmm. it's not because it's, is because he was reestablishing the family on its proper grounds. Um, you he, 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 Even, he, even in the garden, the connection was not a DNA connection. It was a covenantal.
1: That's right. Connection. That's right.
0: So, um, yeah, the, and and that's why I think getting into conversation with people of the past is really what we need right now. Well, because you, know, be, you know people are like, oh, we've got this. Look at we've got this growing socialism in our country. We've got this growing, um, and we think I've got to figure out how to fight socialism. But we never say, have we had this fight before, and right. did we win or did we lose? Yeah, right. Um. And the reality is we had Machiavelli, right? We, we had a fight with Machiavelli all the way back into the, right in the middle of the middle ages. These ideas have come up before and have, ha, you know, Machiavelli was, was uh, um, an influential philosopher on a lot of the people establishing socialism, establishing communism, you know, but. Before to even have been, those names. right? He, he had been defeated right mm. his books remained around so that we wouldn't ever forget hey look out for these ideas but um he had been defeated before um you know and you know there was a, a really popular book um that i'm trying to remember what was the name of it but uh, there was a really popular book that was quoted often in english pulpits uh, he, uh shortly after the reformation it was written in Geneva in 1576, Discourses Against Machiavelli, <laughs> right? Uh, and the the author was a lawyer named Innocent Gentilet, and he, uh, it was sermons on the means of governing. So Machiavelli was used um, really often as a way of saying, that, look, that's the wrong way to govern. Let me explain the biblical way. That we're supposed to govern. Machiavelli was a, a materialist, right? His metaphysic was that there is only matter, and whoever has the power to manipulate matter. Nothing has a nature, nothing has mm. an intended way use. There is power and there is matter. And you either have the power or you don't. If you have enough power, then you can manipulate the matter into whatever you want it to be. Well, wow, that's God. It doesn't yeah. have an attitude. That's yeah. God stuff. You can be God. Um, but what's amazing is that is the, that's the trans mm-hmm. philosophy, right? You can overcome your current physical um, setting. If you have enough power. Well, cause you don't, and,
1: cause you don't have any form, like right? You know, you don't have any, uh, what did you call it? Um, any any nature any nature any, there's any, no nature
0: intended form yeah so and and Machiavelli said where is that power centralized government right. mm. if you can get enough power into centralized government then um then uh, you have a then then you can overcome the nature of anything so Make
1: he so he so he's putting the god at government and whoever controls the government controls the God. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That sounds like our current situation actually.
0: Right. 100%. That's where everybody runs to. And, and the, and conservatives say, and the problem is that they're in charge and not us. That's the only difference. No, the, the problem is actually this fundamental metaphysical error that, that we think that the government can do any of that right that we think mm. that, that we if we gather enough power um then the government can do any of those things but it can't machiavelli was rejecting dante he was rejecting he he was he was saying that dante's vision of the world needs to be set aside buried destroyed or I will never be able to accomplish my goals, mm. and so what we should do is say, "What, what was Dante is it about <laughs> Dante that, <laughs> that yeah. was such a threat to absolute political power that um, <laughs> that uh, you so um, so th- this is that's my way of working backwards into the importance of Dante for the present." Yeah, I actually believe that Dante's. Vision for the world um, is the thing that the church needs to be inculcating into our into ourselves, into our kids, into our understanding of the church and the families that uh, so that um, we can then be a blessing and and rescue the world from the kind of power mongering um, socialism. That right now we have the same metaphysical assumptions about things, and so we're not really of any use, even if we get in charge.
1: Because mm, right? yeah, we, even, yeah. yeah. We, we've talked so, about that. Everybody's agnostic yeah. right now. Everybody right, has, has right. broken metaphysics right now. So we have to
0: be baptized, right? Because he, because because when when um, when Machiavelli says. With enough with enough centralized power, we can manipulate reality into whatever it is we want it to be. Right. That's what he says um, that uh he, he, that's, that's when,
1: insane. That, that's but that's the same argument. I mean, sorry, jace but that's the same argument right. that that. Um, we get from the climate change people as if we can fix it. And this is why I always go back to Hosea four. It's like, why is it that your fish are dying and your bird and the fowl and the beast are all collapsing? It's not because you can fix it. It's because you won't repent. <laughs> right, right. Right. Exactly. Do you understand that? It's not like, Oh, if we can all come together under government and pass laws about green climate change, all of a sudden we're going to create it's the same exact sort of thing that we can, because of government, we can save the planet.
0: Right. right? That, <laughs> that, that we can actually somehow gain control over reality. Yes. Right? That, and, and not just like we can change the weather, but we can actually manipulate reality into what it is that we want. Yes. I, mean, I, I, I think it's, it's, I think the whole argument about climate change is a problem just reveals the fact that everybody knows the climate has been shifting and changing, but for some reason we think the one we've got right now, we need to keep right. Right. (laughs) This is the right one. We, we have landed on the right climate. Um, and now it can't change.
1: Well, in a postmodern world, it's amazing that they would even know what right is. Right.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's, it's revealing, but here's, I mean, progressivism is the most conservative philosophy you will ever. They mm. never want anything to change. <laughs> wow! It's, it's it's you know you go to like Boulder, Colorado, Santa Cruz, California, these ultra progressive places, and um, and then try to put up a new billboard and see what happens. They're like, no, nothing can ever change. Right. We things have to stay exactly. That's the way funny. They are right <laughs> and it and, that, and that's all that climate change is This is sentimentalism. We, I like the climate the way it is right now, and I don't want it to ever change. So we've got to do everything we can to keep it from changing. Well, that's just sentimentalism. So then, what's but the difference? Maybe, there's a, maybe there is a better climate, and we're not there yet? Who knows? Who, that,
1: <laughs> well, at that point though, it makes me think like is there really that, any difference between Republicans or conservatives at that point no. and liberals? Like that's that's a scary that's scary because when you think about it like that, they share the same thing. Like, the only thing they want is the power between.
0: Right. It's a yeah, it's a disagreement about who has who should have power, not a disagreement about the nature of power, the nature of reality, the nature of government. They're all going the same and, way. The, they're all going the same way. The nature mm, of humanity. And that, wow. and, that, and it's and it's frustrating because you know, people people are always wanting you to choose sides. We're like, well, <laughs> I, this, this side's driving at a little bit of a lower rate of speed towards the cliff, so that might give us some more time. To, to I want to get out of the car. To, to get out of the car, or we can jump from here, and it's gonna hurt less. But, but so I mean, we, we we're not of any use um, when we actually get power because we don't. Be- because we have we have agreed with all of the machiavellian assumptions
1: in, wow. in the first place so okay so who are we are we in conversation with machiavelli or Are we in conversation with dante
0: i want to get in a conversation with dante because i think that's the way out of machiavelli so we, we're actually right now, in a conversation we, with machiavelli but right yeah right now we've just we've just jumped into machiavelli's car um and we're like go ahead and drive us wherever you want. And then we're like, well, maybe we should sit in the front seat rather than them. And then we, but we're, we're not, a, we're not trying to switch cars.
1: Tupac was right.
0: <laughs> T- it always, Tupac was always right. That's the thing you got. <laughs> so
1: then the, go Tupac
0: ahead. was aware of it actually. I mean, cause T- yeah. Tupac was completely aware that he was living in a Machiavellian world. And, um, yeah, when we, we, we were talking about this a minute ago, um, where it was, was it this morning or yesterday when we were talking about uh malcolm x yeah right that that uh um i and i almost tweeted something about it and then i realized it was martin luther king jr's birthday <laughs> the wrong day Did to you? come out in favor of malcolm x <laughs> that's, that's a big furry white guy to be like actually you just need to you, I, just, you just need I, to I, identify yeah. as <laughs> yeah yeah actually, I'm a supporter of malcolm x uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said, not realizing it was martin luther
1: <laughs> timing
0: <laughs> yeah timing um that's why I don't tweet at all but but um he when when he when you've got the the black power movement there were there were some things looking in the wrong direction and misapplying power but but Malcolm X he's trying to say, we don't need the government's permission. Mm -hmm. He's actually resisting a Machiavellian world that says we need the government to, to fix this for us. He's like, no, we don't. We've got each other. We've got our community. We've got our neighborhood. Um, We've got our families. Uh, Let's, let's build something. Um, Let's, Mm. let's shop at one another's businesses. Let's, let's build up a, community in which we know and support one another and we don't need the government to back us up let's let's build our own hospital let's let's right. start our own shop start our own clothing companies right that is actually a uh, an attempt to undermine the machiavellian world which makes sense why you've got to assassinate that guy mm. right um you, it when when somebody says hey, you know, there's a way out of this power dynamic. Um, and there's this whole other kind of power that is not government power, right? That there is a power that exists that's not government power. The government says, Ooh, nope, we got to kill that. We got to mm. kill that. If he gets any sort of traction, we got to kill that guy. Um, right, and because because it's a threat to the 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 system itself to set, to acknowledge that there's power outside of that that centralized government power because what machiavelli says is you've got to centralize all the power in the government then it can control reality right if there's power so if there's power outside of it um that's trying to exist on its own Unless you suck that power in. Yeah. And, right? and which and, is why the Juneteenth thing that makes me so mad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious <laughs> for me watching you go through this. I'm just sitting here dying. You know, I just want to say, too, though, Malcolm messed with everybody's power structure. It wasn't just the right. government that wanted to kill him because no, yeah. he started messing with Nation of Islam's power structure, too. Like, he starts messing with all that. So he had all kinds of people who wasn't happy with him because he just didn't feel like he needed. You know certain structures and orders in order to be able to create a certain type of culture and environment. But what were you saying
0: about Juneteenth? (laughs) So, one last comment, because Malcolm X understood that that he had been created with the power to take dominion of whatever Mm. was put in front of him. Right? I can I can get hold of that and I can transform it. Right? I don't need anybody's mm. permission to be a human being um that's a threat to the people trying to say no you've we're the ones that gave you human being permissions um so now the juneteenth thing <laughs> i know i bring, bring this all it makes me so mad that the federal government made juneteenth a holiday um when <laughs> as if as if we need their like as as if black folks need their permission to celebrate that the, this holiday that they've that they've been celebrating and then all of a sudden the government's like uh, you know what you guys can have my permission to take the day off now right right <laughs> like well, you're not a slave master that's the whole point of the holiday is your, is the and uh you know joe biden announcing it like he's giving something like I give you guys so a date. Like, now. I'm giving you guys Juneteenth as a holiday. That, like this. Is, that's not how holidays work. You, rat
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, you upset it all You know. It's, you know what's so funny is seeing Jason upset about Juneteenth. The like, government doesn't give you this day. you yeah, doing? That's,
0: that's not how. That's not how holidays work. You just, that's not especially. But, I mean, of all the holidays, this one. Um, especially and, exactly. And right it's and it's i mean i get i get it's not it's not my holiday and not so the it,
1: no it's yours too Yeah, remember we talking I mean, about this covenantal is, family it, 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 thing right.
0: covenantal it's, family thing it is <laughs> um but but it it's the the it's it's a power grab to try and take control back from mm. and and there's been this long process of trying to um we, so the federal government because of eugenical and and Racist philosophies and people—they put a lot of energy into pushing, pushing black folks out of the society, out of out of the center. They went off and created their own thing, and now the government wants it back.
1: (laughs) And you know what? And they don't even know that that's what's happening right now. That's what makes me so upset. It's
0: like, yeah, right, it's like. What you don't you don't get to now claim all that you don't get to all, say like oh look, look what we have now established Juneteenth as a federal holiday you're welcome yeah like, I I couldn't and it and it made me I, I I didn't understand how how so many folks could say like hooray right the federal government gave us a holiday what are you talking about Juneteenth is the celebration of your freedom from
1: <laughs> jason's right here out to all the black people don't let them take it from you fight the power fight the. <laughs> yeah, totally. i was, I,
0: mean, I, I, was I, I was livid that i remember that because <laughs> yeah, I, I was too we were both sharing that moment i was like hold on a second we didn't ask for your permission. <laughs> we don't need permission to, to take a holiday. That's the whole point of being free people. So right, okay. is, so, t- so you so, don't need permission
1: to take, to take a holiday. holiday. We've, um, so, so take this back to. So that is moving back into a Machiavellian right. right.
0: culture and attitude. Yeah, it's, a, it's a Machiavellian move by the government to say we can't have you over there celebrating without our permission. We're the ones that give permission. We're the ones that give holidays. You can't go off claiming to have a holiday that we didn't give you, right? That's a Machiavellian move that says we've got to centralize the power, right? Because celebration, that is, uh, celebration is one of the most powerful things that human beings do to, to embrace the reality as God gave it. Right. It, that is, you know, we, especially celebrating a historical event, um, to to memorialize in celebration, a historical event, which is (coughs) why the fight for
1: Christmas, the fight for Easter, all all those
0: things are, all those things are really important. Um, because we're, you know, you're saying, and, and it's, it's why, you know, Charles Dickens novel, uh, about, about scrooge is continues to be so important right or to be so powerful to people you because you've got this uh, one of the we're historical beings when something happens in history we memorialize it by saying thank you on the calendar that that's and that's a way of being Mm. being human um and having a historical nature that can't be manipulated, right, I have a reality as a human being that exists whether anybody acknowledges it or not whether the government doesn't give it to me that uh you know there's nobody that gives that to me outside of God right that I have that existence um metaphysically. the government wants uh, a machia in a Machiavellian situation the government. Is the one that defines reality, right? Who actually, whoever has the power is the one that defines reality. And so, um, when when a government sees a people self self defining, sees a people saying, Oof. "I I exist without your permission. I I am human without your permission," right? All of that, um, and the then the government is going to try and in a Machiavellian setting, the government is going to try and take that back
2: right? that,
0: and reclaim it. That's and that's great. what, that's what the federal declaration of Juneteenth was. It was a, Hey, we, we can't have you off the plantation. <laughs> this pisses me off. Like, Hey, we need come back, come back over to the plantation. Right. If, like, and there, this is where,
1: this is where Malcolm X, if he was here, he would have cursed them out. Oh,
0: yeah. Right. Like, that's,
1: that's, that's, that's right. I mean, I'm not, I, in one sense, I'm like, not a fan of Malcolm X. In the other sense, yeah. part of it, I'm like, I'm a fan because I know what he, right. I know that even though he is jaded and missing some of the, the total of the vision, he's understanding enough of the structures and the systems to say, wait a second, that leads me back to
0: slavery. Right. Right. And, and, and that, and I, we're he. He had a clear understanding that we were mo- that you needed to refuse to move back in that direction, right? Yeah. Even yep. small steps back in that direction, he said, "No, no, we don't go that way. We move towards greater flourishing, greater freedom, right? We, we, uh and and that begins with with not needing your permission, right? Mm. Slaves need permission. We're not slaves. We don't need your permission. Right? Yeah. That that's." And and that's what I love about him. Now, not not everything was was perfect. No, I mean, we don't. I mean, we don't need people to be perfect to be people that we emulate.
1: You know, honestly, we should look at Malcolm X in a lot of ways that we look at some of the Western heroes that we have that mm-hmm. have been phenomenal in a lot of ways. Right. In other areas, they just weren't that good. You know, and yeah, we can speak honestly about that. I don't know why we can't hold those two things together. It's it, you know, <laughs> this is not we can, look everybody is a mixed bag <laughs> yeah. so i don't right. have a problem with that i want to get to though like i want to understand what is it that dante has presented in such a way that machiavelli felt like he had to destroy
0: yeah. what is so, the, what is
1: dante bringing to the so, conversation
0: so dante brings a vision of reality um that reality is a uh, a living allegory that has an independent existence from myself, right? That I am a part of this living allegory that has a, it's independent of me while being fully dependent upon God. Mm. Right. So, um, whether I, uh, whether I control it or not is not actually the question it's, um, but the whole thing is, uh, so so it's not a the the world is not this is the the power dynamic in the world is god and creation not me right um that it's not a question of who gets to be in charge because they get to define reality reality exists because of what god says it is right so that's the the first part is that it has a a a metaphysical nature given to it by god mm. our job is to discover, enjoy, uh, and, uh, um, you know, discover, enjoy and use properly whatever it is that we find as it exists the way God says it does. Right. So when we, you know, if we, if, <coughs> excuse me, when we see a hammer, the our, our job is to say, oh what's that hammer? Um, What's it for learn how to use it properly, enjoy it, and then use it to use it properly to serve our neighbor, to serve Mm. the Lord. Um, And uh, that, that that's a way of embracing our own humanity. Um, And then, then all of those things about creation reveal to us who God is and, and become points of fellowship with him. Mm. Right. When we use creation properly, it becomes a point of fellowship with god um now a lot of this revolves around two things the city of florence um right he loved his city he he loved um being florentine and he, he lo- and then beatrice this woman he met when he was a little boy and she was a little bit older but still a little girl who he fell madly in love with and she ends up dying young and he remains madly in love with her throughout his life. <coughs> um, and which is something that I think we think of as a strange thing. Um a nine year old boy falls in love. I th- believe she was 13 when they met. So he's, she's a little bit older <coughs> and he says it was the first time I realized that I, I was running into a creature that I could not come up with. I could not have invented out of my imagination mm. the glory of this creature that stood in front of me. She's a 13-year-old girl. And he goes home and he writes his first sonnet. He's just like nine years old. Um, and it's boy, nine-year-old were a,
1: different back then, wasn't it? Right. right. I ain't gonna well, lie, he, I was about eight or nine when I saw Sharon in Sunday school. And I was right. like, hey, yeah. he's pretty. Yeah. I mean,
0: no, that and there, but there's and there's something about that age right he, he new to puberty that first mm-hmm. vision of a beauty that you need to experience in a new way but you don't know what it is yeah you don't you that you you're you can't consume it you can't uh, acquire it you you know you don't it's not like a butterfly that you want to pin to a wall and then it just sits yeah. up there. You don't know what to do with it. Yeah. It's a beauty that and so he experiences this. And then he um writes a sonnet, which he says was a bad sonnet because he was young. And but, <laughs> but she but made then, something come out of <laughs> it. <him like, gasps> but like, have to like write. there was an awakening, yeah. Um that that had to do with puberty, had to do with his bodily response to her, but it also had there was something in his soul that jumped right that and he didn't mm, understand it. Sparked as he got, yeah, sparked something right as he got older. He actually tries to pursue her and she turns him down, right? And it's and he it says he goes home and he cries because she wouldn't shake his hand back, right? <laughs> right, he's talking like 11 year old boy, 12 year old boy who he's gotten it in his mind. This time he's gonna go up and he's gonna offer to shake her hand. And she's like, No, you weirdo. <laughs> right? And he goes home and he sobs. Right. I love the um, Italian poets in the Middle Ages. They're super emotional. And um Petrarch is one of my favorites. And you know, he used to carry this little this little tiny um version of Augustine's Confessions over his heart, and he would hike up to the top of top of mountains and read portions of it and sob and you know they're so emotional it's a it's, it's hilarious because i'm scottish and i'm like i don't, I don't get that, that. <laughs> um, but, but it, uh but it's something but there's something good about it that i just don't experience right and they do but through their poetry i can co-experience things yeah. with them and, yeah um, but so he she won't shake his hand. It devastates him, but it causes him to think, well, what is it that she actually wants? And begin to try to get to know her. And, he, and as he does, what he realizes is he's not virtuous enough, right? She, he looks at her. She looks at him and sees a kid that doesn't want God, that doesn't want what's right, that is self-centered and not centered on Christ. And so he begins to try and grow in his sanctity and understand theology. And he begins reading the Bible um, or going to hear the Bible read and, and um, to learn theology and, and learn what it is that God wants and begins to want it himself because she wants it for him and Mm. she's beautiful. Right. And then he, um, she dies young. He ends up, you have this, he, he ends up dedicating his poetry to her, uh, that, and, and then writing this long extended poem and, uh, of the divine comedy, which is a a three part kind of fantastical epic poem where he is given a tour through hell and then given a tour through purgatory and then given a tour through paradise. Um, it's this walking tour and his first guide is Virgil. Virgil is the ancient pagan poet of the Italian peninsula um, that opened Dante's eyes to the beauty of poetry and the beauty of of his own homeland and Florentine in particular uh, Florence and and um, but then but just the Italian peninsula the Mediterranean and so he's and so he because of Virgil he loves being I mean, Italian and hasn't really been invented, but he loves being uh, Florentine. He loves speaking Italian. He loves all of that, and um, <clears throat> so he gets this tour from Virgil through Hell and Purgatory, and then Beatrice takes over and gives him a tour of Paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, Beatrice is long dead at this point, yeah. um, so he gets to Paradise. She's there. He imaginatively walks him through the. Paradise, and uh, he ha- as he grows, he comes to understand that God sending Beatrice into his life was actually God sending him a window through which he invited Dante to himself. The beauty of Beatrice was an invitation to spend eternity with Jesus who is even more beautiful beatrice was the stream that dante swam up to find the source of beauty um in in his imagination because he never got he never married her or he never was, she and she um was not his wife but his young love his first crush was actually an invitation from jesus to rsvp to eternal pleasure because seeing her was so pleasurable mm. right that little pleasure was an invitation to the ultimate pleasure and that all beauty all pleasure all um was all an invitation to ultimate pleasure because every beauty was a stream through which you could swim up to the source of, ult- of ultimate beauty which is jesus that understanding of the world undercuts the the well it, it undercuts the need to man, to manipulate reality mm. because actually you want to embrace reality if that's the, the truth because in the embrace and the enjoyment of a thing in and of itself as a, an enjoyable thing that god has given you're actually using it properly and it's leading you towards Jesus. It, it, so the world becomes, a uh, a, a table that has been laid out and everything in it is an opportunity to have fellowship with God, right? It, and all you have to do is use it properly, right? Embrace the world as you find it and use it properly. Um, so, uh, it, it completely changes, shifts the, the, it, there's a number of things that do this, but it's one of the things that shifts the understanding of women in society. Right. You, yeah. you move, you move from um, loving a woman after Dante and after. Uh, so Patrick and uh, um, one of the young um, nuns in his church, none did, didn't have it didn't have what it came to be understood as until much later um was a a young woman named bridget and she had a similar uh, effect that beatrice has on the italian people bridget has a similar effect on the english-speaking people
2: Mm.
0: um our word bride comes from the name bridget and um she was she never married um, but she was this woman who was known for her wisdom known for her hospitality known for her beer or she made a, a that's a good woman a, right there yeah, boy. yeah so people would come from all over to sit at bridget's table and hear and, and ask her questions and have take her and take her up on her hospitality um kings would come to get wisdom from her and, and um she she wrote a a beautiful poem called um I wish the Lord would give me a lake of beer <laughs> mm. right. and because she said, I want to host yep. uh, the whole world. I want to host the angels. I want to be able to show hospitality um, to the amazing creatures that God has created in the men and women of the world. And, um, and so people began to say in English, I wish, I, I wish I could find my Bridget. I, um, you know, and she became this the ideal woman she was wise hospitable beautiful and um and when you experienced her love it was as if you were getting a hug from god himself right that mm. kind of and and then that word becomes bride i'm looking for my bridget becomes i'm looking for my bride and now when we get married we say this is my bride mm. um, so beatrice has this something has a similar effect on the imagination of the continent uh, that she was beautiful she loved um she she loved virtue to love her was to become more virtuous because that's what she wanted mm. right she wanted you to become more like christ and so that was the only kind of love that she asked for you become more who god created you to be that's what it looks like to love me right um so and it, it caused Dante to grow up, to mature um, this, this vision, um, was he, he looked back and said, my first crush was actually a spiritual experience. I just didn't recognize it at the time. -hmm. Right. It was an invitation from Jesus to, to understand what beauty was. And, and um Chaucer's writing in England the next generation and and he's he he's the first one to bring Dante to the English continent, right? He he's he's out um working um he's being sent as an ambassador and he discovers Dante, he brings Dante back to England um and introduces Dante and he uh, writes something similar about beauty, um, the, the, the awakening of, of puberty being a spiritual awakening or a spiritual opportunity to come to understand what it is that God is communicating through the beauty of nature, through the beauty of sexuality, through the beauty of, of a woman, um, through the beauty of a man or the the handsomeness is how we would put it, but they make the same sort of distinction, but the handsomeness of a man, um, was an invitation to women, um, medieval women were much more comfortable with their sexuality than we, than modern women. In what way? What do you mean by that? Like um, They, uh, they understood that the, that the joy of sexuality, the joy of, you know, the way bodies fit together was a part of the fun of fruitfulness, right? Mm. That um, Yeah in fact it's really interesting to read medieval writers because um women are more interested in sex than men in the medieval imagination um you we the uh you, know, you watch a, our tv shows like the big bang theory um it starts out by saying you know, the whole universe was in a cold uh the The opening move song is something like the whole universe was in a cold, dark state, right? And then the Big Bang happened, yeah. And and the, you know, it's this purposefully. And and the the characters are these uh, scientist men who are all materialists, um, and so there. And it makes them girl crazy. In the you know, not even girl crazy. They they're just the Big Bang Theory. Um, as a scientific crea- creation theory, or you know, where the uh, myth of where the universe came from leads to a bunch of men who are just after orgasm, right? The big right, thing right theory is like a met. It's a double entendre in the title.
1: You know what? I <laughs> I never knew that, and I almost <laughs> feel like I could have lived without ever knowing that.
0: But, but it, yeah, but it, yeah, it makes sense. The The storytelling that that was the most popular show for years on television. Yeah. And it's about a bunch of guys who are basically trying to not be rapists, even though their philosophy allows them to be. <laughs> and they're always, it's really weird and they, they just try to make it funny. I um, mean, it actually is really funny. It's a well-written show in terms of the comedy writing and um, it, it can be really hilarious at times but they're slipping their philosophy past the watchful dragons uh-huh. <laughs> with humor. That's um, that's right. Yeah. Because it's, it's a, it's the philosophy of a rapist. The, the big bang theory is the philosophy of a rapist. Um, it really just comes down to the, the pressure and the power of the moment as to who's in charge and they get to define reality.
1: That, know, I want to, I want to go back for a second, you know, I've got a teenage girl now. She's 14. My son is two years behind her. And so she'll be 15 this year. My son's going to be 13 this year. And I need to take what Dante understood about this next phase of sexuality that they're about to go through and start explaining to them that story. Right. That story. Because what we do with puberty is... We we do two different things. We we one of them we say, hey, this is good. Don't touch it, right?
0: Yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And, um, and or or the sex is dirty bad. Or classy. it's really or hey, so save it. So save it for the one you really love.
1: Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> we do those those two things instead of saying there's going to be a moment that you are going to understand just how amazing God is. Right. And he's going to reveal that moment to you in the beauty of a woman, or in the the um, heroics of a man. You know, and and you're going to want you're going to be attracted to that. That is beautiful. That is yeah. good. But you need to understand what is actually happening.
0: Right that you that you're getting that you're about G, Jesus is about to send you a really crazy invitation. Right. And right let me help you understand how to RSVP to Jesus with this invitation, because it's going to be so amazing yeah. that you're going to want to take that invitation and, and treat it as if it's the real thing. Right. <laughs> now, exactly. Now, now, right now. And, and I'm, and it's, we're talking about a, a person, right? That the invitation to a greater relationship with Jesus comes through this person. And the way that you, and it, it's a matter of treating that person the way you should. That's how you RSVP to the greater mm. banquet, to the greater banquet.
1: And, and so then, you know, because so then what happens is, is that when that, here, there's a couple of things I was thinking about, you know, every time I watch a movie with my kids, I always am trying to find there's certain in good movies and good storytelling, no matter what it is, I don't care what it is when you're watching you could almost always find a moment of baptism mm-hmm. where that person, they were acting a certain way. They were converted, transformed, see things different. You can always see it as either rain or they actually go into the water. Usually it's water or rain or somehow. And sometimes it's not always that way, but there's a there's a moment where they transform they they turn and they see things clearer than they did before and they're able to it was in Miles Morales you know <laughs> yep. um, with his dad there talking with him and he the had that moment so brilliant. Uh, brilliant film it was in Encanto uh, it was in you know no matter what it's always water it's always baptism I've taught my kids in one way or another to look for baptism in stories because even the world can't help but tell stories with baptism in it but even in this this might be a way for me to help them say there's go- there's a baptism that's going to happen to you (laughs) in this where Mm -hmm. there's a part of you that's going to come alive that wasn't alive before and that coming alive will allow you to live in a whole new way for the rest of your life past that Uh, and i was wondering if it's okay you know could you think of that in the same way can you think of this moment this turning because we talk about with puberty and i I get with but i want to be able to be more poetic with this than just Oh, your body's changing, you know, <laughs> I want them to see this grander than then uh, your voice is getting deeper. You know, for me, my mom was trying to tell me that um, my desires would be more and affect me greater and have impact on the world beyond where I currently was at and and my alliances would rearrange you know she she made it so that the world around me would shift and morph and so i <laughs> so could right. we could we how is it is using a baptism in that kind of um form dealing with your kids as as they're going as they're going to have this awakening could you use baptism as that what would, what would be another yeah,
0: way i i think so i mean so Dante says beauty awakens the soul to act, right? Mm. Like that beauty, um, that beauty is something that comes at us from the outside, but it's something that is actually an opportunity to, it's, it, it, uh, we respond to it, right? We are, or we awaken to it. And now the question is just, how are we going to act? Right. The, um, the response is almost um, impersonal, right? we It's not a choice that we make. We see something beautiful. I, you know, I remember we were riding on a plane um, from California to Spokane or with Malachi when he was 2, 18 months old, something like that. And we're loading everybody up, and we get everything, and, and then <laughs> I look down and said, where'd Malachi go? Aaron was like, where did Malachi go? Right. We're on a plane. He can't get anywhere. And then I look up the aisle and I see Malachi is sitting in the lap of a woman about six seats up. And I say, "Aaron, I I think we found the uh, most beautiful woman on the plane. (laughs) Malachi had seen her when we were walking down. He had just stopped and immediately climbed into the lap of this, you know, 45 year old gorgeous Latin woman and she was just happy as could be. He was snuggling right in. <laughs> he, he he saw um a beauty as an opportunity to in experience it and just immediately hopped into her lap. And he was 18 mm. months old, so he could he could get away with it. Um and Aaron thought it was really funny, you know, <laughs> and uh and hasn't let him live it down. She reminds him of it every <laughs> once in a while. Hey, you know, this is how this is how a beautiful woman's going to make you respond. you right. got to learn the right response, because there's a uh, in the same way that baptism is something that comes from outside of us, right? It's God, um, God putting His name on us from outside, right? We we don't we we can't baptize ourselves. Um, that's that's an important part of what Dante realizes. I could not have come up with Beatrice. That was not my idea. The beauty mm. of a woman was something that was God's idea. And it's something that hits me from the outside. And that, I, that my job is to learn to respond to it according to God's definition. Right. Mm. Who does God say Beatrice is? That is what ends up defining my response to her. Now, help, so- who does God say that this young boy that I'm meeting and who makes me Feel fluttery, right? Who does God say He is? Who does Mm. God say I am? How do I live according to God? Who, the nature that God says I have, Um, right? And so that's going to involve learning patience, learning Mm. how to how how do how are men and women supposed to interact? What does it look like? You know, uh, Paul's one of the worst things that we do. Is we say tamp it down, tamp it down, tamp it down. Mm. Ignore it. it. It's not real. It's not the way you know that none of that's real. Um, someday you'll understand what it actually takes to be married, and you don't have it yet. None of that is real. It's all some. It's your body's trying to trick you. That's not a. That's that's a materialistic understanding. Yeah, we, we've divorced the understanding. Yeah, yeah, we've divorced
1: the spiritual and the natural. The the body's actually telling you something and it's having a real moment. And you're saying that's not real. You're disconnecting those two worlds.
0: Right. And Paul Paul says, treat one another like brothers and sisters, Mm. right? Young men, young women, when it's not time yet to uh, get married, treat one another like brothers and sisters. There's actually a something that you, there's a, a kind of relationship you're supposed to have while you wait. What and and that op, that treating one another like brothers and sisters, that gets you into a relationship that's close enough that you can learn mm. what's good and what's bad in boys. Well and that's what happened
1: what's- with Dante too, right? So you got Dante who becomes closer to this young lady and says he doesn't have virtue.
0: Right. And, and yeah, in in um he was just talking with one of my sons who will remain nameless, who who and he was like Dad, I, I'm not ready to get married right cuz he, he's 16 busted um, <laughs> busted yeah <laughs> like yeah you're right he's like but i'm working on it mm. right mm. like i and um he he has he's got enough friends that are girls that he knows yeah, I'm not in any sort of place to, right. to take one of those home, but I want to be. And so I'm beginning to work on what kind of virtues do I need to grow in? What kind of habits and do I need to grow in? What kind of maturities do I not have yet? He's learning that by having friends that are girls that he's treating like sisters um, by having real sisters that he interacts with, but also by you know, having Sisters at school that are his, his his age, we want to retreat from the temptation rather than say with the, than the temptations that come with it because they might mess up because most of us did, right? Mm. <laughs> right? We 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 haven't dealt with our own shame and so we treat our we we are fearful, yeah, in the way we raise our kids and so we say retreat 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 when God actually tells us well no there's a way forward. Treat one another like brothers and sisters.
1: So okay, so I don't I don't even know you probably know how we got here, but we were supposed to be talking about Machiavelli <laughs> not liking Dante and Machiavelli putting all the power in the government so that the you could have the ability to transform and remake the world. And so he was fighting against Dante. I don't understand why Machiavelli <laughs> don't like what Dante just said, because Machiavelli I'm sure was a man. So he understands awakening of seeing a woman. So what is it that Machiavelli has <laughs> against what we just got to understand about what Dante is talking about?
0: Because Dante 100% says, I will give up all power. I need to, if this woman will let me stay close. Machiavelli says, mm, "No power needs to be gained, not given." Right, right. So it's the relation. Part of it is a relationship with power. Now Dante becomes one of the most influential people in history mm. by giving up power and reflecting upon what what you know by by saying. What do I, what do I need to do? Right. Pa- I don't need, I don't need power. I don't want power. He, so he, when you say, I want to, wanna... he, he ends up, he ends up, Um. he, he does work in the government for a short period of time. He loves his city. He works in city government and then he's exiled. Um. And he, <coughs> he spends his life in exile meditating upon his love for the city, his love for this woman, his love for God. What does it look like? How, and, and then What kinds of, you know, the the divine comedy, the first uh, section where he walks through the inferno, he learns he he has meditated upon all of the ways that that people talk themselves out of following God. Right. And and so the inferno is this this walk through hell. And each person explains why they'd rather be here than with Jesus. Right. Each person he meets and it's it's not really an actual he doesn't think he's metaphysically walking through what hell is really like it's people but people are in hell because they don't want to be with god right mm. they're not in hell because the opportunity to be with god is is there and it's but they, they would say no thank you i'd rather be in hell than be with jesus let me explain why right and so it's really an it's all, the the inferno is almost a is almost a a um, apologetic text, a psycholog- uh, on the psychology of unbelief. Why is it that people would rather be in hell than be with Jesus when given the opportunity, and he's got all these people explaining themselves? Right? It's really, really helpful because we tell ourselves those sorts of lies, right? Um, still, when we, anytime we're choosing sin, we're telling ourselves a lie about reality about who jesus is about what he's called us to we're uh, we're agreeing with that. half god said of the serpent and choosing death rather than life walking through hell and hearing people explain themselves um, t- telling you out loud the lies that they told themselves their whole life is supposed to be good for our soul and help us to share the gospel better the purgatorio is people that they really do love the Lord, but they continue to tell themselves lies that have mm. that keep them from obeying well. Right. And so he's walking through what kinds of lies do we tell ourself, um that keep us from growing into who God created us to be. And then the Paradiso is all of the truths that um, if we knew and understood and embraced, then it, then it would keep us from, sin. Um, it's really, it's, it's poetry. It's pretty straightforward poetry, but it's also beautiful, thoughtful, right? That's what he spent his life doing. Um, instead of trying to gain political power,
1: that's what I wanted to hit on. Like, so when you talk about power, I just wanted to make sure that we define that he's not in one sense or another, he's actually gaining power but he's doing it the way in which God had designed it to be right. gained because he's not trying to gain power in the sense that he's being like he's being God to call things that are not, you know, you're you're now a man, even though you're a woman, <laughs> you know, right. you know, right. Yeah. Um, or the state having power. He's not working in that way. He's actually working in the way of a being who was functioning, calling things the way that God has called them. So, like you right. said, working with the tools. That God has given you and enjoying the pleasures of God and give you the way that He's told you to enjoy them. That is where the real power is, right? That's right. that's the but transforming power, not the kind that Machiavelli is actually. He's going after a different kind of power, which is a God type of.
0: Um, yeah, so he he's gaining the power to be a flourishing human being, mm. right? Machiavelli wants the power that God has, and he won't call. And Machiavelli, um, Foucault, Karl Marx. Was, they won't call it power unless they have God's power. And P- Plato has a similar definition of knowledge where he won't call it knowledge, unless it's the kind of knowledge that only God has. And, um, and Dante is gaining the power through, through his life and poet poetic meditations and to embrace his own humanity enjoy his life and Machiavelli if you if you're trying to gain power you need everybody upset right you need Uh people you need people that cannot handle the life as they have so that you can promise them something different right you you need um and this is this is um this is one of the things that Karl Marx talks about with perpetual revolution. You've got to have people perpetually dissatisfied with what the government has given them, with what corporate with what their economic system has given them. Right. You need them envious of thinking that I, I need something else to be satisfied so that you can promise that to them and start a revolution. <laughs> right. They if if you're going to overthrow that the, the current so. power system and take it for yourself, you need people envious Dante wants people flourishing and he's trying to help them see how they can flourish with or without any power.
1: You know, Jason, this is one we of the power. So here's um, one of the things that I've been really upset about. Um, I'm on Instagram and every now and then, or even, even just shoot um prime television when you're watching the commercials that'll come up um what i see on instagram i get um i follow a group of people and i think i get because i follow them i get certain things in my feed and one of the things i get is transgendered folks a lot of guys for whatever reason and they'll do their makeup stuff maybe it's because i do i follow uh artists who do makeup and do that's probably why I get that. So, yeah. um, but they do makeup stuff. And when you see them, the way they look like what we recognize as a woman, right? It In the makeup and in the, the, and you couldn't tell the difference just in the face that that is actually a guy. And when I see that, it drives me nuts because it's not that the guy is necessarily trying to look like a woman. I want to take it a little step or further than that. We've created this other type of woman that's made it easy for a guy to look like her. <laughs> right? <laughs> we've, we've devalued the beauty that comes from a woman in such a way that even a guy can put on some paint and look like a woman.
0: Right. You know, yeah, and,
1: and so we've, so I, I guess I want to get to this idea that, um, the battle, for this awakening in man comes a lot of ways from the beauty of a woman. And so the more that we can mar the Imago day in the being of women, the less that that stirring, that real stirring that it's inside of the heart of a man doesn't awaken because he gets some false sense of, of trigger because of a false sense of beauty, because the image is underneath all that. And there's no real awakening.
0: Yeah. If he, I mean, if, if, you're flipping through pictures of beautiful women and it's possible that some of them are not women. It definitely undermines the, uh, the, the thing that's supposed to, that, that is a good thing from God. Right. Yeah. And this, and this is something that, you know, you've got some, some, something as messed up as it is like, you know, old, old 007 movies where you're like, okay, th- <clears throat> I'm not saying this is, this was good or movie, good storytelling and, and any is great heroism, anything, but they understood like a beautiful woman has an effect on a man. Now, often that was, It turned out to be that that was being used by a Russian spy to undermine something. Because he knew (laughs) that. Yeah. yeah. So, so they're trying also to separate the fruitfulness and the beauty, um, which is what Dante and Chaucer and, and we as Christians ought to be always pushing back together. Beauty, the beauty and the fruitfulness need to be the, the, uh, the, the end of the proper use of beauty is fruitfulness. Um, But that um what they understood was that reaction right you could get a a reaction from a man that we're so far that you still can't even get that you know i <laughs> you get you get that's what you get on your feeds i get basketball and uh, erectile dysfunction <laughs> ads yeah <laughs> and i my it's probably my age or whatever i don't know i don't know why but it drives me crazy cuz i'm like i don't understand why like I understand the basketball, right? Cause I like watching basketball yeah. clips and so I get a lot of basketball clips, but then I get all these erectile dysfunction things that think, well, but that's a, that is a huge real problem. I and mean, even when I was pastoring, um, I was surprised at how much of a problem that was, wasn't the men coming to talk to me about it, but women would say, here's the problem I'm having in my marriage. My husband doesn't want to have sex anymore um wow I don't, I don't understand it and when you talk to them you what you learn is that in california um you have this crazy culture uh where there's a lot of public pornography and public nudity um and the christian men are trying so hard to learn to be to be faithful that they have to shut down their mm. response to women. Right. Their response to women. To be able to just go out and do their job in the world. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's not like, oh, you'd find out they've got a porn problem or something. It's the, the They shut opposite, off their stimulus. Right. they had to they they've had to basically say, I can't respond. And so you think, okay, right. This is a problem we can we can pray and address and God can sanctify a marriage through this. And, and, and often just getting it into the open, into a communal conversation with somebody that loves them and cares about them and tells them like, Hey, I, you, you're like, you're not a weirdo. <laughs> you're, yeah. This is normal. You're not the only person I'm talking to about this. Well, and that's because um, let's we've... pray together. Often that's all that it took they would say like really i just didn't know like it was just the shame kept it in the dark in the corner and then and just pulling it out into the light and looking at it all together and saying normal reaction to a hard situation let's pray together it, it began healing um but it but we're so clamped up by shame that that um i mean it would be the wrong thing to announce it to the whole church Right? Hey, here's the problem that we've got it's the right thing to go to your pastor um and 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 pull it out into the light together and say we don't know what to do where it's there's pain involved there's you know there's healing that needs to happen
1: but jason that's not, that's a that's actually uh the precursor to that is in the family actually so if if parents are working with their kids mm-hmm with yeah. how to deal with these kind of things and how, you know, I, I really, we can get kind of real here in a second. um, Thank God for my mom saved me from all kinds of heartache and shame. So I was able to, you know, be a virgin for marriage. The, what no one told me though, was that, you know, becoming one with a woman opens you up to a whole new world. Like you talk about, you become your, it's, The new world, the whole world is new and you see creation differently. All of it, everything is different. It is a whole, I mean, I remember the world's different the next day,
0: you know, well, this place is in color. That's
1: exactly right. And I remember, you know, we were, um, we went downtown, um, Minneapolis and I remember going down the escalator and I remember it felt like I was in a fog, you know, the whole world has just morphed for me right. and I'm looking around at human beings and I'm like, is everybody else going through this? <laughs> How come? <laughs> you know, and so what the all of a sudden what I, you know, dealing with your passions and controlling them is almost like a drip. And then when you get married, all of a sudden a waterfall happens. Yeah. And when that waterfall hits you, you it's like everything floods, and you don't have anybody to really talk to about that. Right. Or no one told you that was going to happen. No one told you how beautiful marriage really is, and and how you need to operate afterwards. Right. No one ever talks about that, right. and they don't get into like, man, listen, you had perimeters and guards before. You're going to need those guards and perimeters now even harder because your garden just expand expanded and exploded. And so right. what you need to protect becomes way more important than what it was before. Cause you just had seeds in there. You can have now stuff is sprouting up out the ground. Right. And so you have a lot more to protect and garden and field than you ever had before. And no one really talked about what that was or how, or even like just how open you are and exposed and vulnerable you are. And so, you know, and I guess I'm bringing that up to say, like, so to have parenting and parents work through those kind of things to understand and say, hey, so what you don't do is you don't shut off the valve, right? <laughs> That's not what you're supposed to do. God gave you a waterfall for a reason. He gave you this garden for a reason. He got this what wa- kids for a reason, right? You cultivate that. You cultivate that, and you work with it, and you you learn how to let the the waterfall feed and water the garden and take care of the garden while you guard it. And you learn how to, to guard that territory that you have in your mind, in your home, everywhere around you. And you know, this is why Solomon, I can say, Hey, you know, drink from the fountain of your own sister, right? They drink, drink from love the woman of thy youth. He's, he's understanding this. And if I didn't have that, if I wasn't reading the Bible and having those kind of anchors, I would have been like, what is going on here?
0: Um, yeah, it's what's so interesting. So Gnostic Gnostic religions were almost always built around sex mm. right? in, the, in the ancient world, right? It's mystery religions, Gnostic religions, there was some sort of sexual component to it or food. Sometimes it was built around strict diets, but which is.
1: <laughs> we're so I there right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my uh, goodness.
0: Yeah. It, it's really, it's really, it's hard to not just laugh because it's either you're going to laugh or you cry. But, um, you, but the, it's because that experience of sexuality, especially when you're in a Gnostic infused culture where you're kind of ghost, ghostly, ghosts bouncing along, um, the surface and not really communing with creation the way we were intended to because our sin has, has, um, pulled our humanity out out of itself and, and separate it, shattered it. That experience of communing with a, with matter, cre- in a, with another creature is so powerful that we begin building religions around it. Mm. Chaucer, Dante, that Christian, Christian medieval view says, hey, it's super awesome and it's really fun and it's enjoyable you can't start taking it seriously, right? You can't start acting like it's giving you something that actually only God in Christ gives, mm. right? You can't. Um, mm. it, because what's going to happen is it's going to start, it's going to start shifting and changing and you're going to think i I need something's wrong. I need to start over. I need to find, I right. need to find a new one. Falling out um, of love with you. Yeah, I'm falling out of love with you. Yeah, um, uh, and that's not to say it's not great and wonderful and powerful. It's just not a religious experience. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a different. But that there's other kinds of good things besides religious experiences, because God has created a world that's full of good things. Right that that it's part of His over overflowing generosity that he gives us something like sex. Right. And it, but then he says it's, but it's not even really a, it's not really a religious thing, right? It's part of the family. It's not even, it's not a church thing. It's not a religious thing. It's, it's like a fun thing that creates new people. Like that's all really good. Um, But as soon as you start taking it seriously, like it's a, it's bringing right, it, it's a it's a real experience of communion it's a real experience of unity um and not just with what would you say would not you just say, with that one person like it's a it's an experience of unity with the generative spirit of the way god created the world right like new people pop into existence through our love right, exactly. right. that's a real thing and it's not a religious thing it's a, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not. A,
1: when you say it's not a religious thing, you mean like it's not a sacrament.
0: It's not a sacrament, right? right. It's not, a, it's not bringing us any sort of special knowledge that um <laughs> it's not right. It's, it's not changing our nature. That's an, another, that's one of the uh interesting, right? We don't have, our nature is not malleable it, but because of the power of those moments and the good, the, 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 Gift that they are, we have a tendency to think that it's a nature that it's shifting our nature.
1: So matures our nature, right? So it does mature us to be more the kind of things that we are,
0: right? But it doesn't
1: change the nature from one thing to a different thing.
0: When it's used properly, it's a it's a communal experience that moves us. Well, let me ask you toward towards maturity, but that's a different sort of. That's um, a different sort of thing than the. Uh, I mean, our culture really does believe in a sort of gnostic. Um,
1: uh huh. I get. Yeah. 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 That it, that
0: it that it changes who we are. That it can somehow make us into a different sort of creature, and so we have to keep going back for
1: it. So here's the deal, though. Wouldn't the perversion of that? that beauty the perversion of that it does have an effect in a way that um destroys the nature of and you become beastly right i mean that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things that the perversion of sex the perversion of uh that awakening used wrongly you i'm thinking romans 1 where he, you know they are they are messed up so that right. they don't right. their nature actually deforms Is that fair to say
0: that well, that they're acting against their nature or their, yeah, that, that, that um, there's an unnatural use of sexuality. Right. And, uh, and we, we tend to think unnatural just means gross or something like that. Like it's, that's unnatural, like American pie, unnatural, like, right, right, right. But it's actually when he says unnaturally say it's, it's against our nature. You're acting against, the intended use of your body parts of who you are um, the, and that that has a way of dematuring us or moving us away way from, from our, yeah. our own humanity or shattering, deforming, bending our humanity against itself um, so that there, we become, you know, at, at war within ourselves is another way that Paul talks about it, right? With that we are actually fighting ourselves.
1: I think we're going to have to do another one
0: on this, (laughs) but the, the, the thing that I do hope people walk away with is that, uh, um, that when they're, that they're, they don't, that they look at their teenagers and they learn how to say, Hey, yeah, I I get it. I remember what that was like Um, because and and there's a way to embrace the fact that you're starting to have crushes on people in a christian way that draws you closer to jesus you don't have to run away scared um and and so much of that just has to do with learning that jesus already died for us and so all the stupid things we did as teenagers have all been buried in the grave and you don't have to you don't have to be ashamed or worried about it or and you can tell your kids about it
1: so here's a question. Then, I mean, we'll we'll have to. I think we need to pick up Dante again because I feel like we just kind of got into Dante.
0: Um, <laughs> so we, we basically talked about why we need him, not so much about him.
1: who. Yeah, I need to know more about Dante because I'm trying to figure out now with this. You know, I came into this expecting to talk about being in conversation with Dante and not knowing it, but we're actually in conversation with Machiavelli and not knowing it. Like everything yeah. right now, when you look at politics, when you look at. Uh, You I mean, everything is politics now, but you look at anybody who's trying to do anything, even the pro-life movement is all this Machiavellian type of push. You know, everything is that. And all of a sudden you start saying like, wait, that is not the way. You know, the way is, again, we've we've talked about this on the show. We can have and it's not that we don't engage and deal with politics. That's right. That's not what I'm saying, but the power in dealing with politics is found in the awakening that happens between a man and a woman right. that create a family that sacrifices themselves for their kids and raise those kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and those kids go out, do the same thing, take them in. And, and And this process of sacrificial love from one person to the next is where the true power really is. Right. You know, right. and, and so, but I, but I guess part, but part of my question, and I'll let you finish up with this, um, cause I got to run too. but, um, who are we ever actually in conversation with right now? Are we actually in conversation with Dante?
0: No, I think, I, I mean, I wish we were, I think, you know, right now we are really sort of I mean, we're in conversation with Machiavelli, Darwin, Freud, I think probably so. Freud has done. Freud oh, was um, put him on the list psychology too. of he he was this psychologist of sexuality, and he was doing everything he could to basically rid us from Dante's understanding of sexuality. Wow! Um,
1: wow, this is amazing. I'll, you know, why didn't we talk about this on the politics of sex? We, we should have really like this would have been a phenomenal conversation. Yeah. Then when we had the conference, because. This is a it's funny that everything that we're talking about, everything we're engaging is all going back to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's Mm -hmm. a. I mean, this is we really have to get way more comfortable with our own mythos. Right. Like we got to understand that so much better because that's
0: because there's alternative mythos that's being pushed and assumed and really hard. And um, we're willing to play on that baseball field rather than say like, "Hmm, no, I'm not. I mean, ab- abortion would be unthinkable, yeah. If we, if we didn't have um, the 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 mythos us, that we have that we assume. Okay. Right now,
1: so you have to before we go the next five minutes, we got to know what books you brought out that we never <laughs> got to, because you know people are gonna get mad at us yeah. for that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so, um, so personally, the I use Dorothy Sayers translation. Um, but it's i think it's out of print right now um so i've i've every time i find it in a used bookstore i snag it up <laughs> and i i just got i just found one for my daughter said, look it's sayers it's a great translation but mostly cuz the notes are really really helpful okay. she explains she's just brilliant she so she's explains uh, everything as she goes so Dorothy Sayers translation of, of what Dorothy Sayers translation of the divine comedy okay um but anthony eslin is also um he's got a good translation it's it's really readable um and then <coughs> cs lewis's allegory of love uh is a little bit harder to find but it's really I, i'm i'm noticing a theme that how often i'm like yeah this book's out of print but it's really a great book <laughs> uh the allegory of love by cs lewis i think it just came back into print in a in a paperback edition though he walks through the um the basically the pre machiavellian mind um to show and and sometimes you're like oh that thing about that was weird right so i'm glad that we don't believe that anymore but a lot of times you as he walks through this was the book that he was writing when he got saved the Mm. allegory so this basically shifted his event the studying the medieval understanding of love and community so shifted his imagination that scripture uh, could finally be put into a context that made sense. Mm. So, um, and then uh, this was the other one. Um, This is a book on writing, actually it's on creating character arcs, but uh, it's, About the way so she's she's writing this book about the way plots change uh, rescue the way plots can change a character from believing a lie to believing the truth Um, but I was just rereading it for my screenwriting class um, and realized how full of wisdom it is on these sorts of things that um, how to identify the, what the story that we're telling ourselves in the moment, um, is, is, it's really a hard thing to do. Um, this is a book about how that works. Um, and I've even rereading it now, find it really helpful in identifying my own internal dialogue. What story am I telling? What character Mm. am I casting myself in, in this moment? And what, how am I justifying that? That is often the lie that we're telling ourselves that when we, when we recognize it, we can say, okay, well, here's the lie I'm telling myself right now. I'm acting like I'm the hero in this moment. Would you text I'm me act- the
1: title for that book?
0: Yeah. That, that's yeah. We- it's called creating character arcs by KM Um It's great. And it, it's, it's like the, it's better than all of the self-help books that I've read on, on an you know, internal dialogue or whatever. That's <laughs> because you know, um,
1: that's a huge, I got to run, but this is one of the, one of the things that's so important is when we are living, we got to figure out, you told me this too, is we, we need to know when we're communicating to people, what is a lie that they're telling themselves and how do we get underneath that to really have a yeah. conversation with them? Yeah. that's how do really we helpful.
0: get, how, how do we back in behind the lies? Yeah. Um, and, yep. and tell, because there's a story that's justifying that lie. That's right. How do we back in behind the lie and tell the, tell a true story? Um, because usually if you just come against the lie directly, you just, it's like, I'm just going to point at, I'm going to shoot at the shield over and over. Um. So and I, then the, I, la- uh, the last one is um, Charles Williams. I, I couldn't afford the real copy. So I've got the, <laughs> the Kindle pro- copy. Um, it, and it's uh, Charles Williams wrote a book, um, just called On Beatrice, and it's um, it's Dante's uh, understanding of romantic love as uh, as God communicating His own beauty to us. So it's really, it's it's a little bit heady, um, because it's it's a more of a book about a poetic, kind of a a poetic metaphysic. Um, but it's, it's really, really worth the read. Charles Williams was, a um, a good friend of C.S. Lewis. He was, he was, um, uh, a poet. It's not a, he was an interesting poet. He's a very heady poet, uh, was never a very popular poet, but was a, um, really great thinker. Kind of a weird, a little bit of a weird guy. Um, that sometimes happens when you're When you're that kind of heady though it makes sense
1: we need we need weird guys
0: right right so
1: next week next tuesday we're trying to do one every week now so um i figured that the last two they were two hours long give people plenty of time to jump in so we've only missed one week so far but um what do you want to hit with dante next week Kind of all of the de- who who Dante is, why he's important. Yeah, maybe
0: we'll talk about who Dante is and and what what would it look like to
1: be in conversation with be him. Be in conversation <laughs>
0: with him. To, to be able to jump in and read because I think now people will say like, "Well, now I need to read him, but I don't know where to start." That's maybe, that's how I am. Yeah, I, I know I need to read it. Where where to start? Yeah, um, and, and then uh, and then maybe set up whoever we're going to text after this
1: oh, all right i got the list and you know what um, if you're listening and you're trying to figure out man i wish they would bring up jay first Oh, a couple things real quick and i really have to go uh, but um, jason doesn't think anybody listens to this podcast at all and so like you have to say something on facebook or twitter so he knows that somebody's out there listening in this past i mean the past couple of weeks i've been getting a lot of messages from the last few that we've dropped, so. Um, tag Jason on Twitter and let him know like people actually are listening. <laughs> and, you know, if there's somebody who you think would be really good for us to go through, um, I have a list right here already. We got Marx, Aquinas, Chesterton, Lewis, Milton, Freud. Um, we have, we want to talk about platforming wisdom. That was one of our other ones too. Oh we yeah. got Kant, Hegel, um, Chaucer, uh, the revolution framework, we have that, and then who is this um, Burke?
0: Oh yeah, we got to talk about. Talk about Burke.
1: Burke. So those are we got. That's a lot of stuff to go through. But since we're gonna do one every week, we're gonna have to.
0: Yeah, we got we got, got plenty five. of
1: time to go through. So um, so and yeah, obviously hit,
0: we're never in a hurry. But <laughs> no,
1: this is two hours. We just hit two hours in one minute. So if there's anybody that you guys think that would be really good uh to talk through and to talk about who you think we're in conversation with. I think we got pretty much everybody who's in the main conversations right now in public opinion. Hit us up, let us know so that we can talk about those guys cuz Jason's got those guys somewhere around in his head if not on his bookshelf already <laughs> to discuss. So